However, we, when I work with my candidates, I, I help them take a step back. Be like, who were you on the recruiting trips? Who were you to your coach? Who were you in the classroom? Who were you at the babysitting job with the person who hired you the consecutive summers in a row? Like whether or not you were mowing the lawn, working at In-N-Out or, you know, like me working at um, a bar in Scottsdale on Saturdays because that was the only time where I didn't have morning practice the next day. Like you figure out a way to build your brand and who you are and who you are when you clean the floor and it's the same person of who you are when you're doing the podcast or you're doing a public speaking opportunity, that is your brand. And that's what people think of you. Just like when someone like you or I walks into a gym, the person at the front desk's name is just as important as the consultant or the manager that works within that company. And so if you take those values and you really know them true to your heart and you find your career through that birthplace, it can, it can surpass years of failing and experiencing something you don't like. This is Penelope Yamauchi, former ASU athlete turned athlete career coach. And this is the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, 43 Performance Lab, which has locations in Boone and Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, 43 offers handcrafted, tailor-made rehabilitation, nutrition, and training for athletes. And I've been around the physical therapy and sports performance world since 2007, and it's safe to say that not all PT practices are created equal. Uh, just as an example, after my knee surgery a few years ago, I developed debilitating kneecap pain, which was completely different from the pain that was addressed in the surgery, which was super annoying. I was eventually prescribed painkillers and anti-inflammatories and still found no relief. I was then basically told that I was screwed, uh, but based on a referral from my high school teammate and NFL fullback, Mike Burton, I began working with Dr. Daniel Clark, and I immediately started uh, to see results, uh, even after just the first treatment session. And I've been working with her and the rest of the team at 4-3 ever since. In my mind, 4-3 is the gold standard for sports rehabilitation and performance. Unlike the PT mills out there, you can expect one-on-one time with your physical therapist and also expert guidance from their technicians. Another thing I love about 4.3 is that they're always ahead of the curve on the latest evidence-based treatment and performance techniques. Some of these include blood flow restriction, which was an absolute game changer in my recovery from knee surgery, heat acclimatization chamber uh, for athletes training in triathlons or marathons in warmer climates, uh, muscle oxygen sensors, VO2 max testing, uh, resting metabolic r- rate testing, customized nutrition plans, a cycling studio where you can measure your FTP and watch Netflix while you're you know, getting your winter workouts in on those Wahoo smart bike trainers. And um, I reaped the benefits of, of that this past winter. Uh, and they also have Titleist TPI experts uh, to help you on the golf course and, and, and so much more. So uh, whenever my family or my friends ask me where to go for PT, without hesitation, I send them over to 4-3. Because uh, pain is not something to, to ignore. And if you live in northern New Jersey like I do, uh, don't wait until it's too late. Listen to your body and book an appointment at, at team43.com. That's team4 is in F-O-U-R, uh, the number 3.com. Uh, and if you're not in the area, be sure to follow them at team43 on Instagram. Uh, they're always posting great content to keep you healthy. 
Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to have on uh, Penelope Yamauchi, who, who is the, a 2012 Arizona State University Olympic trial qualifier in swimming, and she's also the vice president uh, of the Northwest Region at Athletes to Careers. And today, we're going to talk about how um, she coaches athletes uh, to the next phase of their careers and their life after sports and you know, finding that career that's really going to almost make them feel like they are back on the field, court, or uh, in your case, in the pool uh, again. So, uh, Penelope, can you start off by just taking us through a little bit of background on your uh, athletic career? Absolutely. First of all, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I've had the honor of listening to some of your episodes and it's amazing to see you spend so much of your time and energy towards uplifting others. And I hope to bring that value to you today as well. Um, my swimming career started very interestingly, actually uh, at three years old, my parents noticed that I love to eat and I had this uh, ball of energy that I just really didn't know how to apply. So we started going to swim lessons, we went to the water park, we went on um, this particular slide that was way too dangerous for someone my age and I just started swimming. Like, well, she loves to eat, there's an activity, let's channel it into something like that. And so from five until 11, I swam in club. I went to practice every single day built really great relationships and friendships. And even looking back, little swimmer, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I always led the lane. I, it, I was adamant about leading the lane and I don't know where that came from, but my mom always told me, be the fastest in your lane, be the fastest in the pool, be the fastest in your city, and then be the fastest in your college and just keep taking that until you break through walls that you didn't think you could break before. And so I took that into my mentality. And as a freshman, I made my first USA Swimming uh, national qualifying time, which means for the first time they're paying for you to go compete in swimming with the USA club teams at the highest level and hopefully get recognized by a college. And growing up in a single parent family where there wasn't a lot of money just running around, this was a great avenue to not only have things paid for, but say, hey, look, if you're going to make it to be a college scholarship swimmer in a D1 program, you're going to need to make a lot of sacrifices to becoming a better swimmer inside the pool, outside the pool, and then taking that beyond there to the Olympic trials and now feeding into what I do now in my career, which is not just helping athletes with their transition into their career, but helping them understand that the coach who spoke to them to spoke to the challenge in them back when they were in high school or even five, six, seven, eight, nine years old is the same person they need when they're in the workforce. And you can push them through that every single day, step up to the challenge. If you give an athlete the challenge, they'll follow through with it if they know what to do. Right. Yeah. I hear the tremendous drive that you had um, from a very young age. And obviously that's translated into your current career uh, today. Um, but with a lot of times with extreme drive in athletes, you kind of lose sight when you're so laser focused, you lose sight of what else is kind of going on around you um, or other avenues you can kind of uh, try to pursue. Um, so what was your transition to life after uh, swimming like, and did you feel sure. prepared, unprepared? What was that like for you? Sure. Um, and I'm going to answer this question authentically and vulnerably because I feel that so many athletes are taught to kind of stuff their emotions, mask pain, 
create an opportunity to just like suck it up and get better for the next competition. And so I had adapted this similar mindset and all of the thoughts that I had were in between the lane lines or at the black line of the bottom of the pool. And so I was a dynamic individual. I was so valuable to employee, but I didn't understand, okay, you submit a job application, it goes into a black hole and then what? For swimming, it was always, you get this time, you go to nationals, you get this time, you go to NC2As, Olympic trial qualifying time, you get this scholarship. It's very like A plus B equals C. And so with that mindset ingrained into you, it's not that you don't have, you don't have a lack of work ethic anymore. You're just confused. So I graduated from ASU on a Friday. My mom helped me move all of my stuff back to Northern California. I had gained a coaching position in NorCal working with kids while I was still training for the Olympic trials. So I had revenue coming in, I think around $3,000 per month from private lessons and one-on-one coaching with the club kids, which was pretty good. My yeah. older sister who went to Cal, she had a studio apartment. We shared a bed for six months to a year and we paid 900 total for an apartment in Oakland. And I just made it work. I made it happen. Put my feet on the ground, went to work every single day but I still had that avoidance factor of, uh, okay, I've just left the sunshine, a group full of 50 people who love what they do and are working towards a goal and an environment where there's instructions and every single hour is outlined within my day. Now I have all this freedom in the world. I don't know what to do with it. And I think I'm worthless because I don't have work experience. So I suffered from what I didn't know then was like serious mental health challenges. I would, I remember waking up every single day thinking, um, you know what, that dream that I, that amazing dream I just had when I was sleeping, I want to go back to that. I don't want to wake up to this reality. This sucks. Like never to the point of suicide, but like the self-sabotage that I had in my head, I was stuck. And I convinced myself rather than looking at a career from a values perspective that I wanted to work in sports. And so I pushed myself to get experience working part-time at the PAC 12 network, um, Friday and Saturday nights in the production room to get my foot in the door that ended up leading to an internship opportunity. And when I got there, this was the blossoming of the PAC 12 networks. I didn't have an understanding of what my values were, what I wanted to learn. And the fact that this was essentially a startup, so there's not a lot of room for teaching interns, especially in PR. So quickly recognized that I needed to look inward. You know, what were the things I appreciated about my team and myself that are my genuine core values that I hold close to my heart and I need to find in a career search? And the moment I started to do that, it became less about, I need to work in sports and more about, I want to compete. I want to, I want to know I have measurable, um, tasks that I can measure my own performance against those tasks and exceed those goals and get rewarded for it and get by promotions or revenue that I generate, et cetera, et cetera. I want to be in a dynamic environment where creative ideas are able to come to the surface with no judgment, right? That's hard to find. And the other two elements were, I need to be in a space where I'm people facing. If I've had three hours of sleep because I couldn't fall asleep the night before, I need to be in an arena where I'm client facing because no matter how much sleep I've had, that that people interaction, the energy kicks in right away. And lastly, it's just the, um, the ability to be creative. As, a, as an athlete, you're kind of um, scrappy. You're a hustler in, in regard of being a student athlete and finding ways to get things done on time. And if you're not able to really use that tool in your career force, it can be kind of feeling like a little part of you is dying. So again, just reiterating, yes, I went through a massive like mental health transition in becoming a career woman as opposed to a student athlete. 
And then the bigger transition was when you're out socializing with people and you say, you go from saying, hi, I'm Penelope, the swimmer from ASU, to um, being proud of the statement that comes after that. And that took me probably two and a half years to find. And um, when, it, when it comes to the transition and how I make that statement now, um, I, I, I'll say like, I'm Penelope, not the recruiter. Um, I'll say I'm Penelope and my goal is being on this earth is to have an opportunity to influence athletes all over, all over the world to help them find their career opportunities. That was, that was awesome. And I related with so much of that story in particular, um, especially with that low point of where you were kind of trying to figure out like what you wanted and you worked at the PAC 12 network and you thought that working in sports was the answer. And, you know, I dedicated five years of my academic career as a sport management major. I went to grad school in sport management thinking that it was the sports that made me happy or gave me for fulfillment and I'm just now starting to realize what you realized um, which was it's really like what components of playing the sport brought you joy not necessarily the sport itself and now I'm trying to kind of you know make some career moves into a different direction that fits exactly what you're kind of saying like I want to compete I want to have something to strive for and you know the, I'm looking into like medical sales and that kind of stuff um so I, I really hear what you're saying and I sure. feel yeah. for you in that that low moment yeah and adding to what you just said about discovering within yourself what you're looking for and where humans find happiness is by getting one percent better in every arena of your life so i can be passionate about health and wellness and wake up at 5 a.m meditate drink the celery juice um, do my gratitude list and make my bed make sure that i have my workout clothes packed for the gym that i go to at 6 a.m and that's a part of my own personal health and wellness and i think that to show up as the best version for my athletes i need to be a hundred percent committed to being the best version of myself before the day starts. And so when it comes to your own core values, those are different for everyone, but just seeing how you give so much of your time and energy to this podcast, in addition to your full-time job, it shows that one of your deep core values is having an impact on uplifting other people. And so we don't sit, sit back there and when we're interviewing for a job, be like, well, one of my core values is deeply influencing and impacting the lives of others through the work that I do. And that carries over into my interest in medical device sales because I'm legitimately in there with the surgeon saving lives and supporting that through education of the products. However, we, when I work with my candidates, I, I help them take a step back, be like, who were you on the recruiting trips? Who were you to your coach? Who were you in the classroom? Who were you at the babysitting job with the person who hired you the consecutive summers in a row? Like whether or not you were mowing the lawn, working at In-N-Out or, you know, like me working at um, a bar in Scottsdale on Saturdays because that was the only time where I didn't have morning practice the next day. Like you figure out a way to build your brand and who you are and who you are when you clean the floor and it's the same person of who you are when you're doing the podcast or you're doing a public speaking opportunity, that is your brand. And that's what people think of you. Just like when someone like you or I walks into a gym, the person at the front desk's name is just as important as the consultant or the manager that works within that company. And so if you take those values and you really know them true to your heart and you find your career through that birthplace, it can, it can surpass years of failing and experiencing something you don't like. Yeah. I mean, from what I hear from you is like a, a heightened sense of self-awareness 
And I think it takes most people a very long time to develop that if they ever do get to that point where they develop that skill. Um, so how do you think you were able to, you know, develop that skill or, or I guess what advice do you have? Is it, you know, for athletes to, you know, to raise their level of, of self-awareness and is it asking the questions? Like I hear when you're explaining a lot of your experiences, you're like asking questions along the way. Like what did this experience, you know, show about me and what I like and what I'm good at and stuff like that. Absolutely. That's an amazing question. When you look at how self-awareness and self-discovery and looking within, um, I think the uh, world that we live in today, we live in an instant gratification, um, show the best version, highlight reel of your life on Instagram, and that's who you are, and that's what people think you're up to. And so to have vulnerable conversations about what you're struggling with and what you're going through and what you need help with and what you want to discuss and maybe build on is that door isn't always open, even with your closest friends. And even when you open up to people about something you're working on with gratitude or journaling or reading self-development books or following certain entrepreneurs on Facebook, the biggest mentors that I have, like Mel Robbins, Lewis Howes, Tom Bilyeu, um, huge podcasters, Rachel Hollis, um, one of the most world-renowned public speakers right now, we're all focused on personal self-development and they've gone through the journey, sometimes their journey of personal development and discovering their own values of self-awareness came from 10, 20 years of suffering and they've packaged it into Instagram content and books and podcasts that you can absorb for free and shrink that 20 years into an hour long podcast and something will deeply resonate with you and it will come from that that will lead you to a book that will lead you to something else. And so my self-development and my looking within started at 25. I remember um, working in the sports industry and I said to myself, I'm exhausted. I'm a little like unhealthy mentally and, and physically because I'm working 80 hours a week. And I'd like to get to a position where I'm doubling my revenue and cutting my hours in half, not because I wanted to work 40 hours a week, but just to be able to be efficient and execute well in the job for those 40 hours. And I did that. I was only making 30,000. I went to 60 plus commission and I, um, was able to cut those hours in half while discovering uh, layers of my passion. So the first interview that I listened to was with Lewis Howes. He's a former athlete's turned lifestyle entrepreneur, as you know, has over 700 podcast interviews. And for any student athlete or someone going through a tough time in their life um, who wanted to start out with a particular interview, I would start with um, Lewis Howes and Brene Brown or Lewis Howes and Mel Robbins. From an athlete male perspective, somebody looking for someone that they recognize, I'd highly recommend the Kobe Bryant Lewis Howes interview and that introduction to his podcast will give you exposure to other influencers in the self-development space that will guide you to your own tailored way of finding things. But I apologize for the long-winded answer. Going back to the core values, uh, write out all of the maybe 20 things that are most important to you in your life. Um, whether that be um, work-life balance or bringing my ideas to fruition in the workspace or writing my own paycheck or being able to um, execute quickly under pressure, whatever it is, and then try to narrow that down to five. And as you interview for jobs, come up with questions from the birthplace of those values. Wow. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, take that uh, into consideration as I, you know, continue to search uh, as, as always. But it's funny that you resonated so much with Lewis Howes because I 
wouldn't have probably started this podcast if it weren't for listening to Lewis House. Um, I think you're right. Like something with the he speaks to athletes, like not even on purpose. I just think like the way he thinks and the questions he asks are like come from an athlete perspective. And he's a guy who struggled in his transitional life after sports too. And um, those interviews that you've listened to, I've listened to also. And the Kobe Bryant one's interesting too, because I, if I recall, he talked about like writing books or series of books, uh, like children's books. Yeah, and a podcast for children that they could listen to with their parents in the car. I think something along those lines too. Right, and that kind of reminded me of when you mentioned creativity and how athletes are creative. And I think that's what I look for in a job in some sort of way also. And I think when I get frustrated and bored, it's because of that lack of creativity. Um, So do you have any advice for athletes um, in kind of like, harnessing that creativity or absolutely yes um and i appreciate you sharing that about uh what you're what you're experiencing in your role right now because sometimes the birthplace of finding what you want comes from what you're lacking in your current position and you can channel into that and uncover it and so creativity comes from being in nature um not allowing self-sabotage and bad habits get in the way of your perfectionism as an athlete because as a swimmer who swam for 16 years i'm really good at underwater kicking i'm good at the breaststroke butterfly backstroke freestyle i'm good at executing on these practices and if you ask me to go take a salsa class or walk in nature or take a boxing class or learn japanese like i'm going to be horrible at it for the first time and I think a lot in a lot of ways right now, I suffer from, oh, I, I want to be creative. I have all of these ideas, but I don't give myself enough time to actually let those ideas expand within nature. So whether that be you, you ditch the, the blue light, the Instagram, all the content you're absorbing every single night, and you dedicate yourself to one hour a day of being in nature. And after you're in nature, you come back and you just write out and you journal all of your ideas and think of maybe three action items that you want to build on that and then go with it. From there, the only thing stopping you is the self-sabotage as well as the um, limiting thoughts that are surrounded by not being perfect as something. So keep pushing through because there's a good chance you're going to inspire somebody who's also working through something vulnerable um, by by themselves without any sense of community. And when you say self-sabotage and like limiting beliefs, what are some common limiting beliefs and self-sabotaging things that athletes tend to be really good at? Yes. So self-sabotage would be um, acts of destroying your progress or the commitments that you honor and follow through on to yourself. So Ed Milet um, with the Ed Milet show, former UOP baseball player talks a lot about building self-confidence and self-sabotage and how those two things are intertwined and related. In particular, if you say, I'm going to meditate, make my bed and work out, and you don't do those three things, then you're losing, um, you're losing momentum towards your goal. And you're also self-sabotaging by now creating an opportunity for there to be negative self-talk. A lot of times what I would do in college, and sometimes I still notice myself doing now is nutrition, diet, diet, exercise, training, tapering, everything was on point. And then I would go to the grocery store and get a jar of Nutella and nervously eat that Nutella or binge eat leading up to competition because I didn't know what to do with the uncertain feelings of my performance. And in other ways, um, if our 
temperature. Ed Milet talks a lot, a lot about the temperature and your own personal thermostat. Let's say you set the thermostat in the room at 75 degrees. Whether or not you work beyond that thermostat and your performance level and your goal setting. So if I want to go under two minutes in the 200 individual medley, and then I go under two minutes, I will create self-sabotaging exercises that keep me at that level because I didn't set the goal higher. So try not to set your, your temperature in the room at something lower you think you can, than you think you can achieve because you will find a way to self-sabotage to keep yourself subconsciously at that level. And I think the other second piece of your question, you asked about self-sabotage and then limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs um, can be interrupted every single day and you'll have to work on those. So when I wake up in the morning and maybe I'm not as well rested or I'm feeling like pain from the last day or I'm nervous about a meeting, if you don't interrupt that with breath work and water and brushing your teeth and meditation and maybe positive affirmations, your head goes right to Instagram. What else everyone else is doing, um, comparing yourself to other people's highlight reels, um, thinking about, oh my gosh, I need to rush to the gym now. I didn't make my coffee in time. And then that carries over into your day. It's like, and then the things you say to yourself in your head, you would never say to your fifth grade self. So realizing, hey, I'm amazing. I have clarity in my mind. I can be present. I can be conscious and I can replace those limiting beliefs with positive affirmations to get through the day. Yeah. It goes back to that self-awareness piece of like noticing that that's how you're talking to yourself and kind of like reframing um, what, what you're talking about. But I also kind of want to dissect a little bit of something else you said, because I'm trying to relate it to myself. Like obviously the Instagram thing, and looking at other people's highlight reels is like probably one of the most unproductive things that you could ever do. And being in the podcast world and, you know, looking for different leads on interviews and stuff like that, like I almost have to be on Instagram or else, you know, no one's going to listen or, you know, people won't find the, the episode and I won't find guests. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm still looking at everyone else's highlight reel and like feeling bad about myself or what I'm not doing, what I haven't achieved or X, Y, Z. Sure. But another part of what you said was, you know, if I don't make my bed, if I don't make the coffee or if I don't get my workout in, or if I don't like, I find that I judge myself for those things. And I have like 600 things that I want to do. Like I want to learn to play the bagpipes. I want to learn to, um, I don't know, cook better. I, we take dancing lessons with my fiance. Like I want to do better at that. Um, but I judge myself when I don't achieve like, I don't know, mm-hmm. X. I get like anxiety about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, I want to um, answer this question about the anxiety you get when you don't follow through on the commitments you make to yourself. And then I also want to revisit some tactics and tools I use from the Instagram engagement perspective, because 80% of my business is coming from Instagram and I've, I've um, overcome some of the same challenges and I still face them every single day. And I'm still trying to strategize and implement new ways to, to tackle that. But just to talk about the commitments. So let's say you, um, you wanted to learn a new instrument or you wanted to learn those uh, salsa lessons or, you know, take a swing class or something that like makes you feel like you're trying something new and you don't follow through on that commitment. You have to look at your life whether that's personal finance, health, mental, mental health, your work life and your podcasting in systems. And you've done a wonderful job with that, with the way you communicate in coordinating with the guests to have on your podcast. 
I reach out to them on LinkedIn. They make an agreement. I send the details. I check in the day prior. I make sure I do everything in my power to control the situation, to know that that's going to be a great podcast. I do my research and I have all these systems in place. One thing for me at 29, I didn't have any personal finance systems in place that allowed me to get to my financial goals and essentially create um, money that I spend on lattes towards something building towards my SEP IRA or investments, right? And so you have to look at your life and all the areas where you're not following through on your commitments and say, how can I create a system around this that's gonna allow me to follow through on the commitments that I make? And then every time you miss them, like if you miss your workout, you probably miss that workout because your body has been working 40 hours a week in your job, 40 hours a week towards your podcast and your body needs rest and you need to listen to your body. So that's the first step is finding the positive in the missed opportunity. And then secondly, reaffirming that with gratitude. And you know what? I am so grateful that I have the ability to rest and breathe. And I have two legs and two feet that can get me on my workout tomorrow. You know what? I missed that dance class. I'm so grateful that I have a fiance that's understanding that there are other priorities in place right now that take precedent over the creative dance class. And I'm so grateful that I have a fiance and she wants to do things like that. And we can, let's make it a priority next week. And I'm so grateful for that. So I think those two steps help you get out of the, the negative thought pattern that can lead you down into that, um, that self-sabotage, whether it's eating the Nutella or whatever it is that you do. Right. Yeah. My thing, I just, I get to the initial like judgment of like, I did, I made the choice to waste 30 minutes of, you know, scrolling through Instagram as opposed to. What goes through your head when you make the bad choice? Like when I choose to do it? When you choose to not do the workout and you go to Instagram instead. It's usually not the workout that I skip. It's like, recently it's actually been like, podcast stuff or but my excuse is always like oh well i spent eight hours a day doing something that you know i don't have fun doing and i can't work on the things i actually care about but when i do an interview like this i'm talking to you and and other guests uh, i get re-energized i'm like oh like i love doing this this is like what i I would love to do this every day um but i make the excuse of saying like oh well i have this full-time job that just like weighs me down and doesn't allow me to but like what do you say to yourself what sabotaging words you use? Uh, the words, it's more just like, I guess like lazy. Yeah. That's kind of what I get because it's a choice. Like I chose to do something completely unproductive, you know, right. with my time. Like it's almost like an unconscious decision. It's like you get like, you you know this black hole of like social media or something else that's just like, I don't know, not worth it, but. Right, right. Sure. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I'm working on it. Uh, all right, so just to kind of go back into your own story, if it sounded like as far as your transition to life after swimming, it wasn't like you were like that prepared for that transition. Like you weren't doing things to like, all right, I'm going to do this, so then I have an easy transition, you know, into another career. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you kind of like felt it out as you, you know we're in that transition uh, through listening to podcasts and kind of becoming more self-aware and taking the steps and then finding your passions and asking the questions, doing all those things. Mm-hmm. It was that correct. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Um, so can you kind of talk us, talk to us about what led you to become an athlete career coach? Like what was the deciding factor that like 
you know, I did X, Y, Z, and now I know this is what I want to do. This is that what brings me energy every day. Absolutely. Um, so it's the birthplace of wanting to do this, at least having a passion and desire, or even a thought around wanting to help people who went through what I went through was the day that I was living in the Oakland apartment and I woke up from the dream and I didn't want to live that day or experience it. I wanted to go back to the dream and I never wanted any athlete to ever feel that way. Um, that emotional pain that I felt in not having the next step lined up for my life. And as I, you know, blossomed in my career, I just kept taking one step in front of the other and just pushing through and finding ways to network and provide value for people. And along the way, I landed a position at Cal IMG, which is one of the biggest sports college agencies for advertising. And I was in a position where I was 23. I had been hired by a general manager who had four salespeople and one manager of the partner services team. And within the first month of my, my job, learning everything, she said, hey, I just got an offer from another agency and I need you to take this over for the first football season without anyone managing you. And <laughs> talk about being thrown um, just into the deep end, which I'm good at. <laughs> I, um, I failed a lot and I luckily had a boss named Mike Kohler who he, he took a lot of accountability and responsibility for the mistakes that I made and was consistently coming from a almost like a a father approach. Like, look, I understand you. I know you have good tangible work, work ethic, but here's where we really need to make improvements quickly. Otherwise the performance you do is a reflection on me as a general manager. And at the time we were one and 11. So the Cal football team had won one game that season. We had a significant attrition number where the sponsors weren't renewing. And it was an opportunity to say, okay, what can we create here at IMG at Cal to to uplift and strategize and add in um, players in the workforce where we can execute at the highest capacity. So Mike um, created an opportunity for me to hire interns. And it was through that experience, the first year that I hired interns, uh, we, we accepted referrals from athletics directors, kids and sporting events and those who had a sports masters. And those people were okay, but they weren't exceptional. They weren't, um, they wanted the higher level position. They didn't want to lift tables at 5 a.m. in the rain on the day before the football game. Whereas like I was 110% all about that. And if you were a part of my team, you needed to embrace that kind of hustle. And the second year around, I found, I went on LinkedIn. I went um, through my networks and I found all athletes on different campuses nearby. And I was like, look, I know you don't have any experience working in sports, but I think you could be really great at this position. Here are the hours. Here's what the responsibilities look like. And um, I went to a networking event in um, sports networking and I blended in with the audience. I pretended to be a candidate interviewing for jobs as opposed to somebody that was hiring. So they're all lining up at these different tables and figuring out who to talk to. And I'm meanwhile going around seeing who comes and approaches me. And I found three interns from that event. One guy um, who was like on one of those like wheelies because he had torn his ACL. And throughout that process, I coached every intern to their next position. And whether that was their MBA program or getting an introduction to someone in the sports industry. And that feeling that I got from making the connection and seeing them blossom, like made my heart burst more than it ever had with swimming. And so in transition from IMG to the sales position where I wasn't as passionate, I, I was hustling like you after work, um, doing the job I didn't love so much. And I was connecting friends of mine with recruiters who I knew in the San Francisco Bay area. And meanwhile, one of those recruiting agencies was athletes to careers who I had connected with years prior. 
I'd always sent stuff. I had sent, um, you know, congratulations letters to my boss, who is now my boss, um, on his baby and just stayed in touch, kept the relationship. And um, I, I remember it was 2015. I had all these Christmas cards on my desk at the job I didn't love. And it was like from recruiters saying, Hey, thank you so much for all the referrals you sent me. They're doing great. Like you have a 90% referral to placement rate. I'm like, what is this? So I go, okay, you are really good at this. You're doing it as a volunteer and you need to step into this space. And when you put that intention out into the world, the universe has an interesting way. Like Gabrielle Bernstein says, the universe has your back. Like it will find you. And I got a call um, from the CEO of Athletes to Careers, Howie Jacobson, saying, look, we want to, you to build out the Bay Area. And at that point, I had the business skills to really step into that space. And the rest from there is history. And you hear Lewis Howes and all these famous entrepreneurs talk about how the opportunity that they created in their career was to live in their passion and their life's purpose and then also dictate their own schedule. And while I might not have the revenue that they have yet, I'm doing those two things. So I'm really, really proud of that. I mean, that's a win right there. That, that's, that's an incredible story. And I think everyone strives to feel that way uh, someday. But like you said, you're, you're willing to put in the work that not everyone wants to do, but it led to you down the path that, that it did. Um, so I know you give a lot of tips on your Instagram. Anyone who doesn't follow you, um, you might, can you tell us your handle just so? (laughs) So it's coach two underscores and then Penelope and it's spelled P E N E L O P E. Cool. I'll obviously link that up in the show notes. Like every podcaster does that. Um, but can you take us through some of the resume building tips that uh, you give uh, to everyone um, or at least to, to the athletes? Cause I think kind of what we talked about before, it's like you have these experiences as an athlete, but how do you, you know, translate that into a resume point that's going to resonate with a, an employer? Mm-hmm. I'll start with the mistakes, the top mistakes that athletes make when they're crafting a resume. They rather than putting their student athlete job as a full time job with the university as the business and student athlete as the job. And from the August 20, whatever that they started until present, they're listing a job description that they did for those four years. A lot of athletes will make the mistake of putting leadership or um, accomplishments at the very end of their resume, as opposed to making that like, this is a 20, 25 hour to 40 hour per week job. If you think about all the recruiting film, everything that goes into it behind the scenes. So start with that. So um, at the very top, it should have your full name. The next line should be your name, your email address, and your cell phone number. The next section, if you're a new grad candidate, should be your education. And all of the dates should align on the far right. And then once you have your position, so student athlete, um, private private lesson coach for swimming, babysitter for nanny.com, server, host, uh, barback, whatever it is that you have on your resume, even if it's volunteer chair at the student athlete advisory committee, whatever it is, you want to look at each bullet, analyze each bullet and ask yourself, did this bullet accomplish a situation, an action and a result? And so what I mean by that is if you look at Um, your day-to-day as a medical device sales rep, if you produced um, 100% of quota achievement each quarter, you wouldn't just write produced uh, 100% of quota. You, you You would say work diligently with a team of ex surgeons 
um, in X territory to produce 110% of quota. So what you did, how you did it, and what the result was. Situation, action, result. And um, you get through that, your resume should be one page, even the CEO of Yahoo can get it down to one page, so, so can they. And the resume, don't worry about it too much, don't sweat it, get with a recruiter who can help you get to the position that you want to, whether that is you wanna apply for a PR position, or you want to apply for a job online, or use a recruiter of any sort to get your avenue. They're the one hustling 110% of the time to get you the interviews if you show up for them in the way that shows that you're motivated. So once you have that resume in place, that sits down in the interview, you put it to your right, you give your copy to the manager, and then you are fully present, you are dialed into the stories. There's a statistic I heard recently, it's like 90% of the time that you're interacting with someone, they are daydreaming unless you interrupt them with a story. So if you're interrupting them with stories all day long, they're not looking at those silly bullets on your resume that have no significance in terms of your actual behavior, your performance, right? So um, going into that, those are resume tips, but there are so many foundational elements in connecting with an actual interview that are beyond the resume, beyond the cover letter that a small percentage of people read. Um, but again, going back to it, one page, dates on the far right, make sure your most present position is at the top, situation, action, result for each line that you put. I think the point about uh, having, obviously telling stories, but like putting the best things first uh, is something that a mistake that I made in grad school. I spent an entire summer working on this capstone project. Um, and it was, it was for an employer that I was trying to get a job at. Like I kind of talked to my mentor at this uh, company. I don't want to say it, uh, but and he's like, I'm like, do you have a project that I could do that, you know, would help you out? And also I could use as my capstone project. He was a professor in my program as well. So um, I picked this project and it had it related to um, my own head injury uh, with, with football and everything like that. And I did all these interviews and I worked all summer on this project. And then I go to present it in front of my professors and I saved my story and like the why behind why I chose like this particular topic until the end. And I actually technically like already went over the time that I was allotted and, but they let me say my story and they're and the number one piece of feedback that they gave me. They're like, if you said that first, it changes like the entire presentation that you just gave. And I always remembered that. Um, so I, I think that's just an example of kind of what you were just saying as well. Absolutely. And those were great, uh, great tips. And the situation, action, and results piece, I think, is something that anyone could uh, could really use uh, in addition to just being an athlete. And in one of your Instagram posts, I noticed that you said, no experience, no problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why do you think that's important for an athlete to embrace? It's important for them to embrace because while they don't have work experience, they have probably 10 to 16 years of experience being exposed to failure, community, um, interacting with different personality types, working under different coaching styles, being collaborative, pushing themselves to the physical and emotional limit, and then following through on creating opportunities for themselves that a huge percentage of college students don't have, which is getting the privilege of competing for any college um, athletics program. And so if you can create a storyline around all the things I just said, the, 
the creative skill sets that allow you to be of value to a company, that means that you, tr you actually do have experience. So what my Instagram post should have said is no work experience, no problem, because you have stories built within you that as an athlete, you've always been told, don't talk about your accomplishments. You keep that bag of tools zip. No one needs to hear about it. There's someone else out there working harder. So the biggest challenge for my athletes in transitioning from having no work experience to the job is that they are very uncomfortable talking about themselves and their accomplishments. My roommate, Ryan Murphy, is a world record holder, two-time gold medalist. He'll probably win a bunch more medals in Tokyo. And I made the Olympic trials and barely scraped by competing in the meet. And he is at the heightened level. So if I say, uh, Ryan, I went to Olympic trials, I might slightly whisper it underneath my breath or not even mention it at all. But if I'm in a job interview and I'm telling them, I'm going to bring that story to life. Like there's these big lounge chairs and 10,000 people show up to the arena in Nebraska. There's fire coming out of the ground every time Michael Phelps swims in a final. There's this amazing platform that comes out of the ground as the Olympian's name comes across a waterfall backdrop. And when I swam at that meet, um, as I was walking out of the ready room, I could see my parents, my mom was holding a sign saying, go Penelope. And I just remember feeling overwhelmed with emotion, not because I was at Olympic trials, because I realized all the sacrifices that other people made for me in order to get me there. And I, and I was like overwhelmed with gratitude. And, and I really hope to bring that to your working environment because while I didn't make the trials in 2008, I kept trying for the next four years and I failed a lot throughout that process. And if you give me a project or something I don't understand, I will work relentlessly to figure it out. But if I have questions, I'm not going to be afraid to ask you and I'm gonna push through until I exceed your expectations. And I think that's a huge point that you made too, that athletes are always taught to be humble and don't brag about your accomplishments or don't talk about your accomplishments and stuff like that. And I think you mentioned before, like you wouldn't say that to your 11 year old self. And I think like when you're, by the time you're like 11 or 12, that's when people start saying like to you, all right, don't get you know too big of a head or, you know, don't get too cocky or, and then you don't want to be that person. But I think that becomes detrimental, like you said, when you're so busy t telling yourself, like, when you accomplish something, like, oh, no, like, that's not good. There's always someone better or I'm not, you know, you're, you're, the bar is always just being raised to an, yeah. a, a level that's, like, impossible to reach. Um, so I, I like that, that part of your story. Yeah, and as an athlete, you look to the left, you look to the right, it's like, all-American, national champion, 3.9 GPA, and then you're comparing yourself, and then you go out into the real world, and you think everybody else is like that, too. And one of your quotes that I pulled from an Instagram post, too, I think, was, comparison is the death of joy. Right, and that's not my quote. I can't even remember whose that is, but it's a famous quote where I, I work on overcoming that challenge every single day. Um, whether that be your fitness level as an athlete, you're used to looking a certain way and you kind of want to keep that level of fitness up throughout your entire life. And the moment that you get on Instagram or you're looking at somebody else's revenue, who's also an athlete recruiter and you're comparing yourself to that, it could just kill all of your progress. If you say, Oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not like them or I'll never be that way. And so Again, it's just one more channel to lead you down the devil's path to that self-sabotage hole where you just don't even know how to get out of it. Right. Do, with your Instagram, and like, like we said, we both have Instagram accounts that we're trying to 
promote good in the world, you know, not like bring people down it by any means by like showing, Oh, look at me. Like, look how cool I am. Uh, or look how cool, like what, with what I'm doing. Do you like only follow like certain individuals that are like, like yourself that like are only positive? So, um, I'm going to give you a little insight into me. Um, I, there was some advice I heard from a podcast that I listened to is that you should hire your weaknesses And so, um, one of mine is Instagram and actually the content that you see on Instagram comes from my own values and the words are there, but the actual visuals that you see are somebody else posting those every single day. And so I post the stories after I do my meditations, drink the celery juice, I post the motivation on my Instagram story. But when it comes to following, I actually hand off that task to my social media manager and he will go in there and he'll follow, um, he'll go through college rosters and he'll follow student athletes or people who have athletes in their profile. And um, a number of those people will follow back, but we actually have an algorithm or a creation in place where we will, if somebody doesn't engage with that follow, we'll remove ourselves. So we're trying to keep a community small where we figure out, okay, if people want to be involved in what they're hearing and I want to hear what they're hearing, then great. There are some times where there's inappropriate things posted on Instagram. And I, I noticed that if I'm engaging in a post after it's been posted, that, I, that I'm like, oh, you know, this, I don't necessarily want to see this today. Then I will say, what is this? Or how did this get followed by mistake? Um, one Lori Harder podcast I was listening to recently she talked about engaging with your audience and just reaching out to them for the ones that you have who actually like your posts and saying, Hey, thank you so much for always supporting my posts. Is there anything that I can do to serve you today? Or is there anything I can do to help, you know, you reach your goals? And I was like, you know what? I don't engage with my audience enough. So today I went through 50 people who liked my post and I just sent them messages like, thank you for liking my post. And what can I do to serve you today? And the engagement is already so positive. It's amazing. Right. So it's more like, yeah, focused engagement. Yeah. Cause I follow like a million different people, like my friends and then like other people. And yeah, it's like two, that's how I get distracted. Um, However, um, is your Instagram for your podcast separate from your personal? Yeah, I have personal, but like I pretty much only look at my podcast one. I don't really look at my personal one. Yeah. So on my personal account, I, um, I mute a lot of accounts of people who are unmotivating or post content that's repetitive. Oh, okay. That's, that's the ticket. I didn't even know you could mute that. <laughs> don't tell anyone. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you never like getting my pictures anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're negative. <laughs> um, okay. So we discussed earlier kind of like, ways to find something that you love um, and that brings you energy. Um, but you all, another quote I'm pulling is uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And I like that because to me, like action is so important, especially when you're making that tough transition because it's easy to get in that slump and that negative mentality and just kind of like sit around and like wait for something to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But it takes action to get yourself out of it. Um, so I guess both of us didn't make, take this approach in our transitions, but you know, what do you tell athletes today who are still, you know, competing what mm-hmm. they, like, what can they be doing that will make them actually prepared uh, yes. for, for that next step? So um, I, this is, I coach from a place of uh, when they're 25 years old. So if you're 22, 
I say, my goal is not to put you in a job that you absolutely 110% love everything about the brand and the position right now. My job as your coach is to challenge you the most and put you in a position where a role is going to push you to acquire the skills that you need to open up the most doors for you as possible when you're 25. If that means you're negotiating in the C-suite, you're leading a team, you're building revenue, you're coming up with creative marketing tactics and tools, you're creating an efficiency program for an operations plan, whatever it is that you do in your job, if somebody rips out that carpet from under you, you should be able to walk away with your chest proud and say, it's okay, I have this proven skill set on my resume from this recognizable company that has a great reputation, and now I can build from that and figure out what I want to do. The other, because um, people, a lot of people get caught in it, it has to be the dream job and the first position that I choose. And so I got caught up in choosing a position that was aligned with what I was quote unquote passionate about instead of unpacking the core values and saying, well, where do I want to be when I'm 25 revenue and skill set wise, right? And then unpacking that. And then the other piece of discovering what you want to do, I'm a big advocate, and I explained this earlier, of do, do the job you want before they offer it to you. So whether or not you are um, a medical device sales rep yet, like, or if you have a buddy that works in the industry, like go on a, a route with them one day um, and figure out uh, if you can get a meeting with a surgeon or at least see what that looks like or talk to as many managers as you possibly can and figure out how to pick their brain before you step into the role. In my case, it was like do recruiting and be a recruiter and coach people before you get the recruiting coaching position and then step into it with a 110% effort. So if you, if you embody a CEO and you dress like a CEO and you execute your own day, like a CEO one day, when you want to be a CEO, you'll be a CEO. Right. No, that's, that's, uh, that's great advice. And another thing that I pulled from, I don't even know where I saw from something that you posted. Sure. Uh, it has to do with interview prep. And what I really liked was the idea that athletes need to go on the offensive in an interview. And I was wondering if you could explain what that means. Sure. Um, when you're going into an interview, there, are, there is an element of offense, but you're also playing some um, subconscious defense in an in appro approach for the interview process. So you should always be in the mindset that everything you've acted on and everything you've accomplished in your life has come from being able to practice and fail within that practice so that when you get to the big stage, you can perform. And what I'll have a lot of athletes do is there's a reluctancy to be open up to, Hey, I'm going to practice this interview skill. I'm not going to make time to prepare for the interview. I got this. I looked at the website and I'm, and I say, time out. I, Coach P, I don't operate that way. We are going to get through this together. We're going to do a mock interview. We're going to prepare 110% research that background, their core values, parallel it to our own examples, and then drive the conversation from a place of passion for their business. And so the, the defensive side of that is you should go into every interview thinking, what are five reasons why hiring me is a risk to this manager? And whether that be a lack of experience, um, a limitation on time and training capacity, or um, the risk of maybe training that person all the way through a year and they decide it's not a good fit for them because they don't have experience in the industry, or that their learning curve is so bad that they can't keep up with the pace and they're not performing how they want to. All of these things you have to consider before you go into the interview. So today when I was coaching them, I say, look, 
their biggest objection about hiring you is your lack of ability to understand really how challenging this outside sales role position is going to be. And you need to be able to ask your questions and answer your questions from a place of their concern. Look, I understand manager that I don't have much work experience in your industry. And that might be a big hesitation or reservation you may have about me, but I wanted to step back and take, give, walk you through an example where someone's taken a risk on my potential and I've been not only able to follow through, but exceed expectations. And it, it's, it's the mindset and the skill set that I've practiced and applied time after time again, that will make me a great employee for you. And there'll be a great learning curve, but I'll take the extra time to learn the business even on my own time. Right. No, that's, that's a great example. And, um, really in my, throughout my career, I've gotten jobs because of just knowing people. And I obviously like I work while I'm there. So I work myself up the ranks, um, Mm -hmm. just from, you know, being a, a good employee. But recently in like my current you know, job search. I just, I had an interview a couple of weeks ago with uh, the muse. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard of them in like the HR world. Um, it was a sales job for, for them. And it's funny that you, how you describe the offensive, because that was really the first time I've ever been in an interview where I've actually gone on the offensive and like directed the conversation and told my story and addressed all the things that I knew that they were going to be concerned about because I have no sales experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't end up going forward with the job, but they offered me not, they didn't offer me the job, but they said, all right, we would like to proceed with the next steps. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of going back to my core values, like I love being able to come home after work and like go ride my bike for two hours or, Mm -hmm. you know, work on a podcast. Whereas I knew if I was going to commute into New York city every day, that's four hours out of my day that I don't have anymore. So it was kind of like weighing, you know, all right, well, it's a pay cut. It's, you know, I don't know. It, either way, it, in my gut, it just didn't feel right. Um, but it was more of an example of like, yeah, if you prepare enough, you can go on the offensive and kind of direct the conversation to make it beneficial for you. A hundred percent. Yes. I love that. And having the confidence to step into that. I love that you were able to do that in your last interview. I think the preparation is what gives you the confidence though. Yes. In in a lot of ways, just like in sports. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So let's talk about some of the athletes that you work with and you've worked with in the past. Like what has made them, what's like makes a successful athlete that you coach? Mm -hmm. Like what makes them easy to to work with or successful afterwards? Yeah. um, Okay. Let's start with, their their sense of urgency right so if i if i take the time to meet with a student athlete and they have a basic level understanding that i'm somebody who's providing free time free resource to them and i give them a a number of action items to move to that next step they're essentially earning credibility with me to be able to have more of my time they it's a subconscious thing that i'm observing of them but if they move the needle and they say Hey, Penelope, I completed the resume tips that you you asked me to work on. I um, completed my career development guide and here's my schedule for me to meet in person to do some mock interviewing and discovery. Boom, let's get that on the schedule. I, as the recruiter, am so motivated to help that person whether or not I end up placing them in a job. Okay, so number one, urgency. Um, Number two is communication. Those people that are open about their dislikes, their likes, and their ability to um, share what they learn from each experience. Just like when you go on a recruiting trip, you're like, 
eh, I didn't get that feeling of like, this is my new family and I don't know why Penelope, but that wasn't a good fit for me and I don't want to move forward. Great. Having that radical candor communication. Third thing is something that I didn't have that I appreciate in the people that are able to understand this at an early age and that is open-mindedness. If, if, a, if you have your five core values and that's um, high integrity and leadership training, a team oriented environment and I can essentially write my own painting check with the base plus commission structure that I get and I find you an opportunity that's like that but you don't like the industry of a fortune 125 company that sells a non-sexy industry I'm sorry I can't help you if that's in alignment with your core values everything that you ask for but you're not a you're, you're not willing to tell your friends that you're not working at Nike or Under Armour or one of these cool companies that everybody wants to interview at right now. You can interview for them once you have the skill set, but it's those three things, the urgency, communication, and then also the open-mindedness that really make outstanding athletes. Then I think those three skills carry over into when they're in the job. Right. No, that's, that's, that's great. Um, so can you share like a few success stories or maybe one in particular that sticks out in your head? Yeah, so there's this guy, I'll, I'll share both a female and a male story. There's this guy, Garth Gerhardt, and Garth played football at ASU while I was a student athlete there. And um, I, we would see each other in passing in the training room and really no like deep relationship, but obviously any ASU athlete, like I want that person to do well in life. And Garth uh, played for four years in the NFL. He was on roster, got moved around to a few different teams and landed in Denver reached out to me on LinkedIn said, Hey, I'm in the job search. I'm looking at opportunities. I'm interviewing at a media agency. That's a very small boutique firm in Denver. I'm also interviewing for medical device sales rep. And when I got in touch with him, he was nowhere near the preparation level or a skill set or experience wise ready for med device sales. And I knew the manager that he was interviewing with, and I knew that it wasn't going to go well, but I helped him prepare for that interview, knowing that it would make him better for that. Not only that, but other opportunities. And he goes, Penelope, send me anywhere as long as it's somewhere where I can grow. I can, uh, if I exceed expectations, I can be compensated for that. I can have someone teaching and leading me the business and I can grow within my career long-term. He, this is a publicly owned company that he was selling paper shredding documents for a company called Shredit in Denver, $50,000 base salary. He made 130,000 in his first year, 401k benefits, car package, the whole deal his manager is one of my favorite managers to recruit for. And he um, made president's club, which a lot of sales opportunities and other companies have reward programs in place for if you're a top performer in the country, you get to go to Hawaii or Cabo or whatever they have planned that year. And he became the number one top performing rep in the country in a publicly owned company. And his manager called me back after that year and a half. And she's like, Penelope, um, my, my company, isn't allowed to use recruiting agencies anymore but i've interviewed a couple people and i'm not pleased we want to bring you back guys back on board for replacing garth because he just got promoted now he's selling for the medical waste product side of their business into large hospitals he i called him up i was like garth i'm so proud of you thank you for making a good impression here's the door that you kept open for me because of your performance and he actually um uh built a house and got got married and they have their first child so yeah, he's like a little bit older but he's just an example of someone who I'm so so proud of and to have that success story and like look Garth you're not giving enough examples in your interviews and that's why you're getting shut down so it's time to open up that vulnerability box and brag about yourself 
and your behavior and that will get you the interview. So that was one example. Do you um, remember like the specific points that you had that you like had him go into that interview with? Yes. So with him, he didn't have a level of specificity with his examples and really tackling the answers that are the questions that they knew the manager was going to ask. So the biggest objections going into the last interview was, oh, I don't know. He doesn't have much sales experience. I don't know if he's going to be our person. We typically look for people with two plus years of B2B sales experience. And so he essentially went in there with like a mental brag book of all the things he's accomplished, how he did it. And when put up against the wall, how he overcame and utilized mindset and real tactics to overcome and implement that and then parallel that to the opportunity. So it's not necessarily like one specific thing, but just in preparation, thinking about if this is a line on the job description, and I know I've done that at some capacity in a last job, I'm going to think about the behavior it took for me to produce that result and then deliver the analogy between my example and the company itself. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Obviously, he excelled. Yeah, um, so one, um, Carly Budge, she was a Sonoma State uh, tennis player, and she was actually one of my very first interns. And she started out working. Um, with the student athlete advisory committee. She was team captain, really great student, but she didn't have any sales experience. And she was interviewing for this um, consultative furniture sales position in Southern California, and she was in NorCal. And they're like, you know, we like her, we wanna take a chance on her, but she's probably not gonna get the job. They actually told me that before the interview. And so I connected Carly with, um, they sell to like architects and engineering firms. Typically that's the space that they're selling into. So I had a network of five people that were in that industry that I had Carly, she reached out to them, cold called, went on LinkedIn, picked their brains about what they like in a furniture consultative sales rep. And then she had a five panel interview, her against five people on video. And they get through the whole interview and at the very end they're like, is there anything else you'd like to add? And she says, yes. I actually cold called, reached out to five people who I'd be targeting in the industry. I got these specific insights from all these people and I'm so excited and I'm passionate about what you guys are doing. And I know it's a risk taking me into this position, but I really believe I have what it takes. And that was the feedback from the manager. They're like, we were mind blown. And I, um, a month and a half later, she was selected to be the one that presented to the team as the sales pitch. So she was actually coaching the team once she got there. That's incredible. But yeah, that, that's definitely like what separates, separated her from everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. So as we kind of wrap up the conversation here, um, I guess, how can athletes connect with you and to utilize your services? Absolutely. So the best way to find me is just through Instagram. That's coach underscore underscore P E N E L O P E. You can also go to athletes2careers.com and that's T-O, not the number two. And you could submit your information there asking for Penelope um, if you don't have an Instagram account. And I, as I mentioned earlier, what I appreciate about an athlete that I work with is a sense of urgency. And that's a core value that I hold dear to me as well. So if they reach out, I will get back to them very quickly and see immediately how I can provide value. I know that firsthand just from reaching out to you about coming on the podcast. So, sure. um, oh, uh, before I, I, uh, we, we sign off, I just posted my interview with, uh, Tobruk, uh, yes. Blaine from San Jose state university. So how did you guys get connected and, um, how do you guys work together? So before I answer your question, 
Tobruk is one of the most magnificent human beings that I've seen in this industry. And what she created at Beyond Football at San Jose State is magical. And she, she see, she's such a growth mindset that she sees what she's done. And she's like, I can do more, I can do more. And I know she's going to get there. But the foundation is something I hope other programs look to in order to build their true character behind their players as opposed to just being the athlete. Um, but I actually um, reached out to her husband on LinkedIn who worked at San Jose State in operations and um, offered to take him to lunch to pick his brain about what it's been like transitioning from Boise to San Jose State. And during that lunch, he's like, you know what? I think you'd be great at speaking to the team. And I actually have the, this woman, he didn't reveal at the time that it was Tobrick, his wife, um, who's going to be stepping into this position where she'll be implementing some similar tactics to what you're doing. And I can't wait to, for you to meet her. And you know what, Penelope, I think you should come talk to her team. So I show up to my first ever public speech and it's a hundred football players and I've never given a speech before. And so talk about like preparation and being nervous and like getting into your flow state. I, I called my boss, Randy Blood, and I said, Randy, um, I think I, I know what I need to say here, but can you, can you screen me through like five tips I need to give? He's like, yes, hit all what we do, how we do it, present a challenge that they have, tackle it, and then bring somebody into an example and show them what we do. And I had that map running in my head and all of these videos I'd watched, it kind of just came to fruition. And I was so proud of that speech. And then he introduced me to Tobruk and we were, we were able to kind of learn together in, um, in her building of that amazing program. Yeah. And you're so right. Like a lot of programs are coming up with these beyond football like programs, but I've been following Tobruk's program for probably like two or three years now, like since its inception. And I don't even remember honestly, like how I came across it. I think it was like a Google alert or something. Uh Um, and yeah, they just do it different. They just like take it to a whole nother level and it's, it's really cool to see. Um, so Obviously, I'm a Lewis House fan. So are you. You know how he has this classic question at the end. Um, what's your definition of greatness? So I did my own spin on that uh, with what's your personal definition of toughness? Because uh, growing up as an athlete, my definition of toughness is much different than what it is today. And I feel like what my definition was back then largely contributed to the severity of my brain injury, the end of my career uh, as an athlete, and just a lot of negative Mm -hmm. self-talk. So I'm curious what that definition is for you as we uh, conclude. Yeah, my definition of toughness is the ability to step into vulnerability and practice courage in the moments of uncertainty until you get to your ultimate goal because no one is there to save you. You have to be your own superhero. And if you step into that courage and that vulnerability every single day, you can find the toughness to create something magnificent that nobody else believes is possible. Love it. Uh, Penelope, thank you very much for sharing your story and giving us all the the different tips uh, today on the podcast. And, you know, I I appreciate what you do for athletes on a daily basis because, you know, as we both know, it's it's not easy out there and you're you're making a difference. Yes. And I just want to Lewis House acknowledge you for your exceptional reflective listening skills, your ability to 
explore uh, thought processes and then go back and revisit the question when you know it will provide value to your clients. And also the commitment that you have to creating this to serve other people and uplift them. There are probably people out there that you've saved lives and you've created better mental health and better creative opportunities for them just through them listening to you once you've produced it. So keep it going, you're doing amazing. Thanks Penelope. Uh, yeah, shout out to Lewis. <laughs> <laughs>